This is the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. We are a group of men who gather together to encourage each other in friendship and in faith, and to support each other to be better husbands, fathers, and better men in the marketplace and in our communities. Friendship at NCS happens through our regular meetings in local chapters all across the country. The Franklin, Tennessee chapter meets the first and third Thursday each month at Puckett's Grocery and Restaurant in downtown Franklin from 7 to 8 a.m. This podcast is sponsored by Harrington Interactive Media. Working on a book? Let us help you get it to print. We can edit your book, design the cover, and help you list it on Amazon's print-on-demand services. See examples of our work and connect with us at harringtoninteractive.com. In this episode, Robert Benson shares his talk called Jesus and the 12 South Film Festival, recorded on January 10th, 2013. In the words of St. Francis, on the way back up the hill to the, to the monastery, um, hi y'all, <laughs> I appreciate being included. I should tell you a couple of things. One is that I'm actually a writer, not so much a speaker, although from time to time I am allowed to speak in some places. Because I'm a writer, I have a tendency to read rather than talk. <laughs> You'll have to excuse me for that. I, I realize that I'm actually part of kicking off what turns out to be Episcopalian month at the NCS meetings. Today is the feast day of William Laud, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury. I'm an Episcopalian. I have this kind of checkered religious past. I was a Nazarene, and then I was a Methodist, and now I am an Episcopalian. I also spent some time as the really bad lead singer of a Christian rock and roll band, and I was also in a quasi-monastic community for a couple of years, and then I was in a psych ward for a while as well. (laughs) Years of traveling up and down this great long pew that we call the church has made of me a confirmed contemplative. One who likes silence more than one who likes songs. One who enjoys the sacraments more than one who enjoys sermons. I like meditation generally more than men's groups. (laughs) Anything that doesn't include women scares me to death generally. Clearly, though inexplicably, this is why Wes invited me to come to talk to you about spiritual friendship between men. (laughs) Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, whom angels delight to worship in heaven, and author of all things beautiful, grant to your servants who through their art seek to perfect the praises of your people. Grant to us even now glimpses of your beauty and make us worthy at the last to behold it forevermore. In the name of the one who made us, in the name of the one who redeems us, in the name of the one who will sustain us until we are home. Amen. I'm highly qualified to talk about friendship because I actually like some people. I am a people person. I just prefer it when none of them are around. Anyone who has ever taken the personality profile called Myers-Briggs can tell you that a score of 10 to 12 on the introvert scale is a pretty clear indication that one is actually an introvert. My score is 12 to the third power. (laughs) 
It turns out I pretty much like people mostly in the abstract. <laughs> Most of my relationships with men have revolved around church or business or sports teams my kids played on. Robert is my friend, someone would say, simply because we pooled our ignorance together in a Sunday school class once, or we negotiated a contract, or we became semi-disabled sitting together on bleachers for 12 hours on Saturdays, <laughs> waiting to catch a glimpse of the moment when our kid happened to be on the mat, or the ball came their way. When Wes sent me an email about your group and invited me to come and share my thoughts about friendship between men, I just laid down on the floor and laughed out loud before I called him back. No one is less qualified on earth to talk about such a thing than me. Wherever two or three are gathered, I actually get a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Even if, and perhaps especially if, I think there is a chance that the one who came among us might choose to come and be among us that day. Because if he chooses to do that, I will only know that if I actually look him in the eye or I turn out to be the Jesus who is to be revealed in the room that day. The secret is this, said Paul, it is Christ in you Sometimes we talk about this, we who call ourselves by his holy name. Sometimes we remember when we look in the mirror. Less often, perhaps, do we remember that great phrase of St. Paul's when Christ is presented to us in someone who is other, really, really other than us. And now we're stuck having to meet his gaze, your gaze, baby. And now we have to listen to his problems. We have to bind his wounds. We have to put our shirt and our cloak on him. We have to forgive him over and over and over and over again. And we have to be willing to die on his behalf. Most all of the days of my life, I, in fact, would rather be left alone. <laughs> Wouldn't you? <laughs> I recently did the third or fourth dumbest thing I've ever done in my entire life. I would tell you about the other three or four, but it takes about a whole day, and it would require more than a free breakfast to get me out. <laughs> Some years ago, the sweet woman who was kind enough to marry me became a founding member of, member of a women's book club in 12 South up in Nashville, the neighborhood where we call home. The book club is named in honor of a size two founding member. You look fabulous, one of them would often say to Colleen, who always does look fabulous. We hate you, another one would mutter. <laughs> Colleen would say, you're just bitter. <laughs> Hence, the Bitter Friends of Colleen de Gregory book club had its first meeting on the banquette in her restaurant in 12 South. Once a year, the Bitter Friends invite the men in for Christmas or a cookout. And the guys always end up talking and telling stories and trying to land the biggest laugh and tell, tell the biggest tale. Something came over me one night, and I said, we should get together without the ladies sometime. Evidently, I said this out loud. <laughs> we could start a movie club and meet on the Monday during the week after the ladies have had their book club meeting that rotates from house to house. I'll pick the first film since the next book club is at my house and the house will already be clean. <laughs> Thus establishing the rule of the 12 South Film Festival. 
For the first time in my life, I achieved what one might call consensus and have been paying the price for it ever since. The 12 South Film Festival is an exclusive sort of group. No one can join unless their spouse or partner is a member of the Bitter Friends. We're not even in charge of our own membership. <laughs> but we're beginning to be known in the neighborhood, mostly because we're founding sponsors of the Severe Park Concert Series in the neighborhood. Our name is on the t-shirt, and it's on the banner above the stage, and we are grandfathered in to all the after parties, which is the reason we bought the space on the banner above the stage. <laughs> People call the Neighborhood Association, and they say things like, we have our own film festival, and how do I join? The association has been directed to say, we know who they are. We cannot tell you their names. We will tell them that you inquired. <laughs> None of us is very much like any of the others at all. A lawyer, a Vietnam vet, an ophthalmologist, a provost at Vanderbilt, a film director, a musician at a megachurch, an architect, and a poet. An Episcopalian, an agnostic, an atheist, a Catholic, an evangelical Christian, a Southern Baptist, a non-combatant, and another sacramentalist. One represents corporations, another is a tireless advocate for liberal causes and is also the unofficial mayor of our neighborhood. One gave up a promising career with big eyeglass stores in the mall just so that he could work at the veterans hospital. Another of us goes to mass every day. One makes films, another spent the last three years caring for aging, dying parents. One is still so defeated by the toxic nature of the church he grew up in that he will not darken the door of another one, maybe ever. The last has done nearly everything in the name of Christian worship, save handling snakes and visiting the Vatican. Between the eight of us, we have fought in three wars, been married three, 13 times. We have 17 children, a fishing boat, and an average handicap of 51. Hmm. <laughs> We know how to cook steaks, spaghetti and meatballs, vegetarian, warmed over barbecue from the place down the street, a serious crawfish boil, big time chicken wings, whatever is the special at a white tablecloth restaurant, and the best bolognese sauce in this town bar none. One or more of us is hard to get along with when he has had too much to drink. Another cannot explain his political positions, even to those inclined to agree with them. One pulls away whenever the conversation gets too close to the bone. Another is so anxious to please, he will say nearly anything. One of us is so desperate to be taken seriously that he overstates everything. Another is so shy that we're still trying to get a real sense of who he is. Another has a habit of asking another question before you can answer the one he just asked a few minutes ago. Another one Googles the answer to the question before anybody of us, any of us have a chance to rack our brains to come up with the answer. He's in your group too? That's great. As a group, we are smart as a whip and as dumb as dirt. We are as loose as a goose and as wound too tight, as oblivious and as attentive, as devoted to the things we believe in and as incapable of understanding the other one's point of view, as generous and as exasperating as any crowd of folk I have ever known, including every crowd of Christians I've ever been around. These men never pretend. They never let you get away with cliches. 
They never go out of their way to tell you how great their life is going when it is not. They never hold back when they feel strongly about something. They always give you a big hug or a big shout whenever they greet you and whenever they head home. And at least two of us at the end of each meeting want to choke at least two of the others on the way out the door. <laughs> having friends is a new experience for me. But I'm learning something about having friends who happen to be men these days. What I'm learning is maybe not the same thing you were learning here. But Wes didn't ask you to come and speak, he asked me. <laughs> if it goes downhill from here, it's on Wes, all right? <laughs> Thing one, as the great theologian Dr. Seuss might say, having friends is a pain in the place where you keep your wallet. For starters, they will call you and want you to do things. They'll want to have a coffee or go to the movies or watch their kids for a couple of hours or show up at a neighborhood event and hand out flyers or set up chairs for their kid's wedding in the park while they attend the champagne party for the groom. They want you to crawl out of bed early on a Saturday morning to cheer their wife on while she comes in two places from dead last in the local fun run. There's no such thing as a fun run, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> they call you on the weekends they knock on your door when you're working they expect you to come to dinner when they invite you they expect you to invite them for dinner a couple of weeks later simply because you were at their house a couple of weeks ago and then there's the texting <laughs> Jeez. Evidently, an old dog like me can learn new tricks, but in my experience, an old dog can pull a muscle really quickly. <laughs> this is thing two they're teaching me. Any fool can be a friend to people who are just like themselves. It takes something else to be a friend to people who are different. It takes something like whatever it was in Jesus that caused him to choose to be among publicans and sinners rather than the religious folks. Maybe he was just being a physician to those in need, as someone told us, he said. But just maybe he was tired of the same blame conversation with the same folks who were living the same life that he was, that of a devout Jewish man who lived in the Middle East in a small town 2,000 years ago. Surprising as it first seemed to me, no matter what film we pick, almost every meeting of the film festival includes 30 to 45 minutes of intense theological discussion, shall we say. Discussion is kind of a, it's kind of a word for the way we talk about it. Everything we watch seems to lead to a discussion about the glimpse of the holy that is to be found outside of the realm of the holy spaces that you and I, who call ourselves Christians, generally attend to and look for the glimpses of the holy. Almost always, the ones who lead the conversation in that direction are not the Christians. The ones who head that way are always the atheists and the agnostics. In fact, there's a running joke in the group about my not being allowed to talk during the theological discussion part. The first time it happened, my wise spiritual self kept trying to get a word in edgewise, but I kept getting talked over by some louder person at the table. So I just kept backing off. 
After about 40 minutes, one of the guys said, I suppose we could ask the writer of religious books what he thinks about religion. Don't do that, one of them yelled out with a grin on his face. I already made up my mind. <laughs> Here I am sitting in a room where I'm supposed to be light and salt in the world and the pepper won't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since, when the conversation turns to religion or spirituality or theology, the same guy will always say, okay, it's Robert's turn now. Maybe we'll learn something. He has the same big grin on his face, and I very often have nothing to add. He also still claims to be an atheist. He's just an atheist who wants to talk about the ways of the God that he doesn't actually believe in. We both believe in the same God. I just have the audacity to admit it though I do so every time with fear and with trembling. The 12 South Film Festival is teaching me that the big questions are not going unasked by the people who are not going to the places that we go to on Sundays and Wednesdays and whenever else we gather up. They are, however, all too often being asked in gatherings that we do not attend. I spent much of my life being sure I was with the right crowd of Christians and not hanging out with the publicans and the sinners. The result was that I may well have missed a moment or two or 10,000 in which two or three were gathered and perhaps Jesus was not among them because I was not among them. It's just as true that I miss more than a few chances to actually see him, to see him naked and afraid and starving and thirsty to see him in prison by some bad habit or another, and all because I wanted to be darn sure I was hanging around with the right folks. I'm going to tell you a story that I've never told anyone before, and I'm not sure I've written it anywhere near quite right, but here it is. My father was named Bob Benson. For those of you who know anything about Christian music, he was that Bob Benson. He was a minister, a writer, a Christian publisher, an influential person in the Nazarene community, and a well-traveled and well-loved preacher, a contemplative before many folks in this room ever even heard the word, and all-around good guy. He died young, younger than a fair number of us in this room, and he died with much of his music and his art still in him. He had a group of men that he grew up with at First Church of the Nazarene at 510 Woodland Street, the one with the big steeple just past the Titan Stadium. And they pretty much believed in and lived out of the same things their whole lives. Lord in heaven did they love each other, those ten men. And they encouraged each other and held each other up and bore each other's burdens. They had between them what many of us evidently stumble into puckets and seek in some level each Thursday. They were to each other what perhaps some of us in this room may yet become to each other. My dad had another set of friends. He was deep friends with a lot of the music business folks, folks whose names you would know if I named them. Wes is old and he probably has a list and he can tell you who they were. We lived in a big house along the river in Hendersonville, five miles down a gravel road with only a dozen or so houses between us and the center of town. We were a couple of miles by water from Johnny Cash's place and let the record show we got there first. <laughs> Some portion of my father's two sets of friends came to our house almost every week. 
They came to eat and talk and laugh and swim and play tennis and sleep over when they were in town to make records and to shoot pictures for their children's weddings and to celebrate holy days. As the years went by, I found out that along that road where I grew up, there were three divorces and a man who died of a heart attack and left a wife and two children behind. There were at least two cases of child abuse and a bankruptcy. There were people whose children struggled with alcohol and drugs, people whose careers collapsed, people whose weekly practice did not include going to houses of worship. None of those people ever came to our house for a party. None of them ever came to grill out. None of them ever swam from our dock. None of us ever went skiing with us on the weekends. We just waved at them, the publicans and the sinners, on our way by as we went to town to see our real friends or to pick them up at the airport. I read this somewhere once. Who, who, who is your neighbor? The writer Reuben Welch once told me that he is very certain that people need Jesus, but most of the time, he said, they just need someone to be Jesus to them. In the category of being Jesus, my father was a good man, but he was not the Messiah, though we used to tease him that he might be. At home, we called him Saint Bob. <laughs> but Saint Bob might have been a fairly good stand-in while sitting in a circle with some of those folks who lived up and down our road, the folks that we never knew. Wherever two or three are gathered, I will be with you. Exactly where is it that any of us go when we do not go there in the name of the one who comes among us? Which leads me to thing three. A very long time ago, I had what I now consider to be my only true moment of evangelism. An advertising salesperson at a local newspaper had spent many hours in my office trying to sell me ad space. We got to be friends over the years, I suppose you could say, though no more than I knew about friendship, who am I to judge? In the middle of a conversation once, she said to me, you're religious, aren't you? We'd spent our entire relationship talking about dollars and cents and rates of exposures and returns and contracts and deadlines. It never even occurred to me to have offered her a copy of the four spiritual laws. <laughs> So I quickly went into my intense missionary mode. Yes, I said. Hmm. Pretty good, huh? <laughs> she said, I could tell. I could tell by the way you move through the world with such hope and joy. I could tell by the way you listen to people when they are talking. Now, for an Episcopalian, that moment is as good as handing out tracts during spring break in Fort Lauderdale. Hmm. Listen very carefully here, please. If you suspect that I think that a gathering up of like-minded folks in a setting like this a couple of times a month is somehow wrong, that's not what I'm saying. If you think I think that this kind of gathering and others like it cannot lead to deep and meaningful and powerful moments of learning to open ourselves up to other people, then I'm not evidently poet enough to say what it is I'm trying to learn. There's nothing in me that suggests that we should not gather up on days like this to learn to be friends with and be honest with, to grow spiritually and emotionally with groups of men such as those who are gathered up in this room. After all, we are to be light and salt in the world. 
and the light we can give each other when we gather up here on some odd Thursday or someday in between if we remember to answer the text. Hmm? That light may well save some of our very souls. But I also believe that if we go from these places to be salt only to people who are already seasoned, then there will be some places where two or three are gathered and Jesus doesn't show up. We will miss our chance to be Jesus, to the neighbors we drive past because they are not like us, to the parents of school children that never come to our homes, to the others in our lives with whom we have far more in common than we even imagine that we do, to the others who want to talk about God but are only willing to do so over beer and chicken wings and a movie. This is what I'm coming to believe about what we Christian men who want to learn to be open and friends. The light that we bring to each other really, really matters, as does the salt that we are to be in the world. That salt may be the only taste in this world some folks ever have of the body of Christ, the body of the one in whose name we gather. But to avoid the pepper that lives down the road or down the block, is to miss a chance for Jesus to be wherever two or three of them are gathered. Be not afraid. Be not afraid of the light that comes from being here with your friends. Be not afraid of becoming the salt that seasons the block that you live on. Be not afraid of the pepper. Being with them is where we might actually learn to be light and salt in the same way that the one who came among us learned to be light and salt. Thank you again for including me. I will tell my friends in the 12 South Film Festival that they are now well known in Franklin. <laughs> you cannot join us, of course. <laughs> but I will let them know that you were kind to me. And perhaps they will allow you to buy a t-shirt. <laughs> let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, send us now into the world in peace. And grant us strength and courage to do the work that you have given us to do, to be light and salt in your name. Give us the courage to do it in truth and in beauty, for the sake of the one who came among us as one who serves. I think it's time for us to go. Time for us to go and live our lives this day so that those for whom love is a stranger might find in us generous friends. In the name of the one who made us, in the name of the one who redeems us, in the name of the one who will sustain us until we are home. Amen and amen. You've been listening to the New Canaan Society podcast for the Franklin, Tennessee chapter. Remember to check out Harrington Interactive Media and get your book to print. They edit, package, and help you put your book on Amazon if you're an author, organization, or a publisher. That's harringtoninteractive.com. 